All right, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 today. For those of you at home, you might want to get a piece of paper out and a pen to take some notes. Those of you who are here, if you're on the back of your bulletin, you should find your outline for taking notes as well. 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1. And it says in verse 1, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right, and do not give way to fear. Husbands, the same way, be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who misspeak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive by the Spirit, through whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when... God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you from the re- saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone who has gone into heaven and is at the Father at God's right hand with angels, authorities, powers, in submission to Him. Let's take a moment and pray together. Those of you at home, bow with us as well. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. And we pray, Father, you would give us instruction and wisdom and discernment. Help us, Father, not to be people of fear, but to be people of peace. Help us also, Father, to be led by your spirit, comforted by you, and saved by your son. We pray, Father, especially today, I pray that you would use me for your glory and the good of your church. I pray, Father, that you would take these words from my lips and soak them into all of our hearts, into mine as well maybe first of all. But Father, I pray that um, whatever we say and do here is honoring and pleasing to you and speaks truth of your word. We pray for this all in Christ's name. Amen. I like going through these letters the way we have been. I don't know. I hope you do too. I hope you're getting a lot out of this. Um, I like going through the letters and reading the letters in service and worship because it just takes me back to what the Old Testament church or the New Testament, sorry, New Testament church early church did, they would read these letters and it was important to them. It soaked into their hearts. 
and they got such strength out of it, and they were able to endure so much because of their faithfulness to God's Word. In 1 Peter chapter 3 is a passage that gives the church two of our most important doctrines. Now, doctrines are beliefs and true statements that are considered primary to the worldview that someone is holding on to. The worldview that we hold on to as, as Christians is Christianity. It is a worldview. It's more than just a belief system. It's more than just a set of thoughts and ideas. And, and it, it, it's a worldview that should guide and direct our entire life. It should have an impact on our entire life, no matter who we are, where we are in life, or where we've come from. The Christian faith as Christians should impact us all day long, every day of the year. That's why it's a worldview. And a worldview, every worldview has doctrines. And we have two real here, real, here in, in this passage today that I want to, really want to touch on. And I really want to really focus our eyes on this. Peter gives us two reasons for believing in the Christian faith in the worldview. That Jesus, one of them, first of all, died for the sins of the world, he says. He died for everybody. And second, the belief that Jesus' resurrection is what saves us. Now, most people in America today think good works saves us. Or just the idea that I believe that there is a higher power. That's, that, that saves them. Or they'll believe, they'll say this, that everybody goes to heaven. Everybody goes. Everybody gets into heaven. When we know the Bible teaches totally contrary to all of that. Peter tells us that when Jesus died, he went to hell. That's what he says here in uh, verse 19, part of verse 18 and 19, that he died. When he died on the cross, he went to hell, not because he was condemned, because how do you condemn God, right? How do you condemn God, the creator of all things? How do you condemn God, who is all-powerful and totally holy? You can't. And Peter tells us why Jesus went to hell. Now, one of the things when you study the New Testament writings, you understand real quickly that the New Testament writers sought to deal with the injustice of Jesus' death. Do you realize that Jesus' death, though it was voluntary, though he went and did it freely of his own will, though no one killed him, he gave his life up, it was an unjust thing. It was unjust. You know why? Because he was holy and perfect and righteous. And we're not, and he died for us. Now, I'm so grateful for that unjust, unjust act that he did, but it is an unjust act. And so they're trying to deal with that. The New Testament deals with this idea that he died a horrible, terrible death for so many people, for some who would believe and some who would not. And so they wanted to explain why or the purpose for his suffering and death on the cross. And that's what Peter's doing here in this passage today. If you have your outline ready, if you have your notes ready at home, Peter said this, he said, number one, Jesus died for everyone. Now, this is not widely accepted in the Christian faith. There's a great debate going on today that Jesus did not die for everybody. We'll talk about that. Look at verse 18, just the very beginning of it. He says, for Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. The argument in Christianity today about who Jesus died for has been going on for a long time. Did he die just for the elect, just those of us who are saved? If you're a follower of Christ, if you are a committed follower of Jesus, and he has changed your life, and you, you, you are trying to live the life he wants you to live and follow him, you're a believer, and you're part of the elect. So did he just die for the elect, or did he die for everyone? 
That's the question Christianity's been re- been wrestling with for hundreds of years. Really didn't come about until the Protestant Reformation. Once the Protestant Reformation began, that began that whole discussion and argument about who did Jesus die for. The Roman Catholic Church seldom have ever dealt with this issue. The Roman Catholic Church was the first church, organized church, in the world. It came out around the 4th century or so, 3rd century, after Jesus died. And, and the Roman Catholic Church taught that, that um, if you were a Catholic, you were a Christian. And that's pretty much what everybody knew. Now, there were other elements of the church that weren't so solid on Catholicism. There were Orthodox Christians as well, and there was lots of disagreement between them and the Catholics. I was raised a Catholic, by the way. I was baptized as a Catholic baby. I was confirmed at the age of seven. I was an altar boy for four years. Okay? So I'm not picking on Catholics. But they taught that if you were a Catholic, you were a Christian. And boy, when they went to war, they fought about this a lot too. That if you kept the sacraments that the Catholic Church believes in, the, the seven sacraments, you're bound for heaven. You're, you've made it. But you've got to keep the, twelve, the seven sacraments that they promote. Now, the Catholic Church hardly ever dealt with who did Jesus really die for. That was just too much too deep for many people back then in the ancient world. They were more interested how do I know God? How can I be saved? How can I go to heaven? And I think we're kind of going back to that today in this world, this life today. I think we're going back to this just basic idea is if you say, I'm going to go to heaven, I'm going with you. And that's what makes some of these preachers so popular because they just say the nice things, the nicest things possible. Now, there were early church fathers who tried to deal with this issue. Augustine did. He wrote about it some. But for the most part, the Roman Catholic Church left them alone. The Protestants come along and they changed it all up. Now the old, now the new, I'm sorry. Now the New Testament does talk about Jesus dying only for the elect. It does mention the elect. It does talk about that. There's no denying that. Those that God predetermined, or I would say, foreknew, who would be saved. That was how I would break down the elect. God foreknew that Gary O'Flanagan would come to saving faith in Christ. On, in April of 1990, which I did. But if God predetermines everybody and clicks the button on your, your soul and you become saved, kind of takes you out of the whole equation, doesn't it? It also means this. There's a group, a whole other group of people over here that God's not going to push the button on their soul and they're, gonna, they're not going to get saved. They're condemned. They're pre-elected to, to damnation. That's not talked about in the Bible anywhere at all. That God has set a group aside of folks to condemn as an example to the rest of us. But it does talk about the elect. But the Bible also talks a whole lot more about general atonement. And general atonement is that Jesus Christ died for all people. So that anyone who would believe in Him would come to saving faith. Anyone who would turn their life over to Him didn't matter who they were, where they came from, where they were born, their family, none of that mattered. What matters was, were they, were they willing to commit themselves to Jesus? And I believe that's what we're required to do. It does talk a lot about in general atonement that God sent His Son to die for all people, for the world, to save everyone who believes in Christ, and to overcome death at the resurrection. Now, verse 18 as a whole here, or at least the first part, 
there's three phases in here, or three phrases, I'm sorry, phrases that I want to talk about that I really want, to, really want us to see. They're important and they need to be considered by themselves. So let's look at verse 18 again. For Christ died for sins once for all. Christ died for sins once for all. This is an important idea, an important point to be made because almost all other religions in the world today have some sort of sacrificial system that requires repeated sacrifices. If the Jewish people had their temple in Jerusalem, they would be offering sacrifices every Friday and every Saturday for the sins of the people because that's what they did in Jesus' day. They would go and they would offer lambs. They would offer bulls. They would offer birds. They would, they would give money and, and all of this. They would make repeated sacrifices because once is never enough in a worldly system, a sacrificial system, not even for the Roman Catholic Church. Peter says Christ died once for all, and that's it. Why is his sacrifice superior than any other sacrifice that anybody could make? Because he is the best. He is the most perfect sacrifice of all. Only Jesus' sacrifice himself is sufficient for an entire world of people. John 3.16, For God so loved, his, loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. When he talks about the world, it's talking about everybody. It's not talking about this selected group of people that get their button pushed and this other group of people that don't get their button pushed. It's talking about the whole entire world, John 3, 16 and 17. And so is Peter right here. But not just, not just Peter. Listen to what John the Baptist said in John chapter 1, verse 29. John the Baptist said, look, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He pointed right at Jesus Christ. Again, the world, everybody, everybody who's lived, or has lived, or will live. The second phrase says, the righteous for the unrighteous. This is very important also. What does righteous mean? It means to be morally perfect. In the Bible, it means to be morally perfect, to be perfectly holy, to be untainted by sin, unblemished by failure. It means to never be wrong in any way at all. And the only person that I know of that can match that is Jesus Christ. Yeah. And Paul said the same thing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, verse 10. He says, that is, why, that is why we labor and strive, because we put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Now, He could be the Savior of someone, and they, not, and they might not believe in Him, and they don't get saved, but He's still the possible Savior. He could still save them if they simply would believe. You see what I'm saying? Nod your head. You understand? Yeah. Just because someone doesn't believe in him, doesn't get saved, doesn't mean Jesus isn't their Savior. He just, he just never fulfilled that role for them because they refused him. They rejected him. I did. For years I rejected Jesus Christ. And yet in his grace, in God's grace, God still kept coming back to me. And he comes back to all people. So they have a chance. In the third phrase, Peter says this. See, this is the why that Jesus did everything, to bring you to God. Are you glad that someone has the ability and power to take you to God, to bring you to God? Amen? I am. I'm not only glad for me, I'm glad for my family. I'm glad for my wife. 
I'm glad for my church. I'm glad for all the Christians I've met throughout my life. I'm glad for everybody. I'm glad for unbelievers who don't believe yet that who might. I'm glad somebody can bring us all to God. Because we sure need God today. The reason why God sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, was to restore us to a right relationship with our Creator. Listen to this. Now, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a genius. You all know that. And we'll tell you later if you don't believe me. But listen to this. Jesus did not sacrifice Himself so we'd give money to the church. Though we give money to the church. Though we are called to give money to the church. He didn't do it so we would give money to the church. Jesus died on the cross so that we would give ourselves to God. That's why He came. That's why God sent Him. So that we could get to God. So that we could have a relationship with God. And that's why we worship Him on Sundays and Wednesday night Bible study. And, and it's why we have daily prayer time. And I hope you do. And it's why you should read your Bible, study your Bibles on a regular basis. It's why I stand up here and talk about Jesus Christ on Sundays and Wednesday nights. Why? Because i got nothing to tell you. But Jesus sure has a lot. He has a lot. He has everything you need to get to God. And I do all this because I know Jesus. And I know that He saved me through a sacrificial death and powerful resurrection. And He can save anybody out there who believes in Him. He'll just simply turn your life over to Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 and 15, the Bible says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died and he died for all. What does all mean? Everyone. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Paul says the same thing. Paul's a little more wordier, but he drives home the same point, that he died for all, because we are convinced that one died for all. Point number two, look at your outline your point paper ready at home. Point number two, Jesus went witness to the spirits in hell. Look at verse 18 to 20 with me. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. And in it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. Now, the Bible doesn't say that when he went and preached to the spirits in prison, he saved any of them doesn't say that. It just says that he went there and preached to the spirits in prison. The only time and the only place salvation takes place, the only time that happens, the only place it takes place is in this life. There's no dying and getting a second chance. It doesn't work that way. God gives you opportunities in this life to accept Christ into your heart and life and be changed, be reborn in this world, not the next. I believe Jesus went to hell and preached to the spirits in prison to proclaim his victory over sin and Satan and death. I'm getting older. All of us are getting older, aren't we? And someday we are physically going to die. If Jesus doesn't come back first, we are physically going to die. I trust in Jesus Christ for my salvation in this life and the next. So when I die, when I lay my head down for that one last time, I don't fear death the way I used to. I don't accept death the way I used to. Why? Because Jesus Christ overcame death. Yeah. For us. For me. For you. 
Notice the word spirits is used here, not souls. Did you see that? He uses spirits, not souls. The most common use for the word spirit in the New Testament is for demons. More often than not, the New Testament, when it's talking about spirits, it's talking about demons, unclean spirits, evil spirits. It's used primarily, though, for eternal beings like God. God is a spirit, right? Holy Spirit, right? Yeah, Jesus is a spirit. In the same. He's an eternal being. He's a man. He's God. He's flesh. Look again at verse 19 to 20. It says that he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago. So Jesus went down to hell, not as a condemned spirit, but as a victorious Savior, the Savior that he is. And there he declared to those demonic spirits his final victory, that their fate was sealed forever. There would be no escape for them and no salvation either. This reminds me of the moment that when Jesus was on the cross and he was dying, and he comes to that moment of death, and what does he say at that moment? He says in John 19, verse 30, when he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit, meaning he died. He's an eternal being. He's always been. Jesus has always been. So he's an eternal being. God is an eternal being. The demons and angels are eternal beings. So he's talking here, Peter's talking here about condemned demons. Look at verse 20 at the end. It says, God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. In the days of Noah, when, days, when, when Noah was living, there were a lot of people. There were a lot of people, but out of the entire world, of that day, only eight were saved. Do you know how they were saved? Noah and his family were saved one way, by doing what God told them to do. Yeah, he told them to build the ark. I'm sure that that was on your mind. You probably thought, well, he you know, built the ark, and they were saved. But, they, but God told them what to do, and they were saved. Now, you can do you, friends. Just like I did me all those years. You can do you. You don't have to listen to God. No one makes you. No one's going to force you twist your arm. You don't have to believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. You don't have to. But if you don't, you won't be saved. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what I believe. I'm convinced of for myself and my family. And when your time comes, and it will come, because that day comes for all of us, you might have time to trust in Jesus Christ with all your heart and soul, or you might not. Before I became a preacher, I worked at a plant, an airplane plant called Beechcraft. And we had a facility in Salina, and I worked for lots of different people. But I worked in the tooling department, and I worked for a guy named Gary. Gary was a motorcyclist. He loved Harley Davidsons. And every spring about this time, every fall about this time, he, him and some friends would take a ride on their Harleys, they would go through Kansas. They would go up, go up into Missouri, over into Arkansas, come around into Oklahoma, and then come back down I-35 and some of the minor highways along I-35. The last year I worked at Beach Aircraft, Gary was, did that. He was on his motorcycle, and he was going through, I believe it was McPherson, Kansas. McPherson, or it might have been Lindsburg. I think it was Lindsburg. He got to Lindsburg on his motorcycle, and he stopped at the stop line, a four-way stop. 
and he pulls out into the intersection. Along came a truck and T-boned him on his motorcycle, crushed him from the waist down. Now, I had told Gary about Jesus Christ. I used to wear a T-shirt that said that it was called, it was the faith outline, it was faith. And he asked me what that meant. I said, well, it's something that I do in our church, a bunch of us do. It's called faith. It's where you talk about salvation, about Jesus Christ. He goes, oh, really? He goes, would you like to hear it? I mean, just to hear it, would you like to hear it? Sure, why not? So I went through the faith outline with him. I went through all the F-A-I-T-H, faith, forgiveness, all. All can be saved, but all will not be saved. Uh, I, um, I'm on the spot right now, but it's impossible to, to get to heaven without God. Um, T, you have to, uh, total depravity, we're all, we're all sinners. We're all needing a Savior in H, heaven or hell, that's your choice. So I went through all of that, and I said, Gary, let me ask you, you've heard all that, would you like to accept Christ as your Savior? And Gary said, not right now, not, not today, I'm not really, I don't, I don't really care. I said, I do good things. I said, well, what are you going to do when you die and you go face God and you stand before him? And he goes, well, I'll deal with that when I get there. And I said, okay. I said, Gary, what are you going to do? There might come a time when you're out riding your motorcycle and you get hit. And you're in a hospital and you might die. You might be dying. I hope you'll think about what we shared, what I shared with you today. I got paid to do this, by the way. We did it on time, on, on our time clock. But um, he didn't accept Christ that day. I don't know if he ever did. He had time. They kept him alive and awake and, and clear-minded in the hospital until his girlfriend could get there and say goodbye to him. And then, then he died. And I hope that he remembered back. I hope that God went back to him one more time and said, Gary, you remember what Gary said? I'm here. Are you ready? This is your last chance. So you just don't know. You don't know when your time's going to come. Todd Gleason, remember Todd Gleason? Drinking coffee with his wife one morning in Luanda. He was there in one minute, he was gone. He was a believer. He's a believer. We'll see him in heaven, I'm sure of it. Mike McManus, same thing. Sat down, and he was gone. Many others from the church have been here. I think of Alta Duncan, sat over here right by, right in front of where, where Jeannie's sitting right now. Sat down in a chair in her house, reading the paper, watching TV. She was gone. You don't know when your time is going to come. You don't know when God's going to call you home. You don't know if you're going to have the time. No one knows, but God knows. So when God speaks to you about these things, you need to listen. Romans 5, verse 6, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. He did it for me. He did it for you. Listen to God. Point number three, Peter said something we don't talk about enough. And I... I really have got convicted over this week from this part. Point number three, Jesus' resurrection saves us, not by not baptism, not baptism. Baptism is an illustration. Look at verse 21. Verse 21, and this water, the water of baptism, symbolizes baptism, or the, the, the flood. The water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into the heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, powers, in submission to Him. Wow. 
Jesus' resurrection saves us, not baptism. Baptism is an illustration. It's a living illustration. Now what Peter said here in verse 21 seems kind of complicated. I, I understand that. And it does kind of read that way. This water, the water of the flood, symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. That's, that's kind of contrary to what's being said. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through Noah's flood, God condemned many, many people. But he also saved Noah and his family. Eight of them altogether. So water is a symbol of death and condemnation, but also of salvation. Peter says this water saves you also, not the removing of body like a shower, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. For baptism, water baptism isn't a sacrament. For Baptists, water baptism is not a sacrament. We don't see it as a sacrament. Roman Catholics do. That's why as a baby I was baptized. Because it's one of the things I had to do to be, to be a Catholic, but also, in their thinking, to be saved. So we don't think it's a sacrament. It doesn't save you. Nor is it a ritual. It's not something we just do over and over and over like the Mormons do. Mormons do baptism for the dead. So for them, baptism is a ritual. It's a public pledge every Christian must make when, they're, when they are baptized. It's a, it's a pledge we make when we're baptized. So when we go through the waters of baptism, we're making a, uh, an, illust it's an illustration of our pledge to God that we believe in Jesus Christ. It's an act of obedience. It's an acting out of our profession of faith in Christ. This is why it's called an ordinance. We're commanded to do it. Not to be saved, but to confirm our pledge and commitment to Jesus. It illustrates for others that Jesus Christ is our Savior and Lord. By going under the water, we are symbolically dying to the old life. Then rising up out of the water, we are symbolically showing we have a new life in Jesus. That's the importance of baptism. That's New Testament baptism. You're baptized under all the way, not sprinkled, not dipped, not wiped. And you also have to be of age enough to understand what you're doing. Baptism also illustrates Jesus' death on our behalf and his resurrection by going under the water, the death, by coming up, it's the resurrection. And resurrection is what saves us. Verse 21, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul also said this in his defense of Jesus' resurrection. In chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a tremendous def defense of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Did he really rise up from the grave? And, he, and if you read that chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, you'll see Paul makes a really great uh, defense of it. But 15 verses 20 to 22, listen to this. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. That means those who believe. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But you've got to be in Christ. You've got to be committed to Jesus. Getting wet doesn't do anything but other than getting you wet. I also like the fact that Peter tells us where Jesus is right now. Look at verse 22. He says, Jesus has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, powers, and submission to him. He tells us right where Jesus is now, right where he's at. He's at the right hand of God the Father. He, he's being worshipped in heaven 
where all created things are in submission to him, whether that's eternal spirits like angels or those who've gone unto heaven before us. Peter wanted us to understand some very complex issues here. And these are somewhat complex. I get that. That he died for the whole world, for all people, so that some might be saved, knowing that not all will be. That he did go to hell, but he wasn't condemned. He went there to announce his victory over sin and death to the spirits who were held there, the demons. And Peter wanted us to understand that while we should be baptized, it doesn't save us. Instead, it's our public pledge of faith in Jesus as our Savior and Lord. His resurrection is what saves us. So this Sunday, as I do every Sunday, at the end of my message, I want to encourage anybody here today, anybody online watching this video, to consider what I've been saying about Jesus Christ. This is why we're in worship today, because we're worshiping Him. Your sins are not so great that you can't be saved. They're not so great. And any and every sin you've ever committed or will commit can be forgiven if you trust in Jesus Christ, if you believe that He overcame death and rose up from the grave that Sunday morning. Romans 10, verses 11 and 12, it tells us this. As the Scripture says, anyone who trusts in Him, meaning Jesus, will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. You want to be saved? All you have to do is call on Jesus Christ. You have to give Him your life, but you have to mean it. It has to come from your heart. It has to, you have to let it change you. It means you don't walk away from Jesus the same person that you were when you first approached Him. You must become different. How do we do that? We do that by talking to God in a very simple prayer. I'd like to lead you through that. So let's bow our heads. For those of you who are very confident in your salvation, pray for somebody who doesn't know Jesus yet, a neighbor, friend, co-worker, family member. Those of you at home, if you're ready to accept Christ as your Savior and Lord, just repeat this very simple prayer with me, okay? Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I acknowledge to you that I need the forgiveness only Jesus Christ can give. Dear Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Be my Savior and Lord this day and every day. Amen. hope you prayed that. If you did, please call the church office, 785-843-0442. I'd love to talk to you, help you with some materials and things that will help you grow in your faith, help you find a church home if you don't live here in Lawrence, Kansas. So we're going to have our own public uh, invitation time. So for those of you in the, in the auditorium today, the sanctuary would like to stand up. Let's um, stand together and sing one more song.